Hi y'all, it's Monday and we have a big week ahead of us. We really do, but first we're gonna talk about OJ Simpson and that new Twitter handle, and then Lady Bunny is here. Can't wait to do fire tweets with her. We'll see you on the timeline. Feet up. Yep, let's do it. Relaxation station, you yes. know, toe point. <laughs> Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford. She's Alex Berg. It's Monday, and you are watching AM to DM. How was your weekend? You know, it was quite long. I went to LA for a day. Don't ever do this. Living in New York is not a joke, and everything's far. That so is, yeah. I'm a little tired, but she's here. She's awake, and she's excited to see okay. you. Okay. How are you? I'm good. I had a nice, uh, restful weekend, but I have to tell you, I have this like summer cold, so mm -hmm. I've just been sneezing and coughing, mm -hmm. and I hope that I don't start coughing on the show. Actually, like <laughs> <coughs> Alex, if you're going to cough, please leave the room. <coughs> Oh, <laughs> rude. And a direct that was so quote. Hard to be mean. You sound like another TV diva. <laughs> Aaron Rupert tweeted about Trump's interview with George Stephanopoulos. Trump gruffly asked Mick Mulvaney to leave the room because he coughed. No, seriously. Let's take a look. At some point, I hope they get it. You're going to turn it over? No, at some point, I might. But at some point, I hope they get it because it's, <laughs> it's a fantastic financial statement. It's a fantastic financial statement. And let's do that over. He's coughing in the middle of my answer. Yeah, okay. I don't like that, you know? When like your it. chief of staff. If you get a cough, please yeah, leave the room. Get a shot of, and I'll, yeah. I'll come over here. Just, just you just can't. Just to change the shot. Okay. Lord help us. That was incredible. Like, really, if you have to cough, please leave the room. He literally that said, was that. It. said that said to that. his chief of staff. Sure did. Ooh. Well, Jackie Almany tweeted after this. Text, she got a text from former 2016 Trump campaign staffer. Quote, I was told by multiple people when I came aboard to never cough or sneeze while in the presence of Trump. He thinks it's a sign of weakness and lack of control. Nobody ever recovers. And David Mack tweeted... Trump thinks that a normal news crew should function like something on The Apprentice speaks volumes about his himself and his relationship with Fox News, the only outlet who he's been doing interviews with before this. Ooh. Indeed. I mean, I think this was a point that people were making mm -hmm. uh, in response to this clip, which is that, you know, in an interview, it's usually spontaneous. You don't, like, reset your angle in yeah. that kind of way feels very reality to yeah. me. Yeah, an interview is what's really happening in the room. It's not a place for you to run lines, run your spin, run whatever. This is not the, the set of The Apprentice. And what's incredible about this moment as a journalist is that that cough is important. You know, the chief of staff could be signaling to Trump, like, hey, stop talking about the statement. Stop doing that. Because he was sharing something that's very controversial. So the cough would be needed in its great context. But for Trump to not even think about that and to think, oh, it just ruined my shot. And then mama just reset. She's like, like, it? <laughs> I don't live for Trump like that. Like, he's not a drag queen, but he was giving us drama in ways that just always makes us feel like a reality TV. Yeah, it felt, felt very rehearsed, very, like, ready to be on my mark yeah. at that moment. Um, felt very much like that Devil Wears Prada yes. scene <laughs> where Meryl Streep's character is like, you are, like, incubating germs. Mm -hmm. Get out Get of out here. Of so, yeah, just, yeah. Whew, what a time to mm -hmm. be alive. And this got me thinking about moments when we have gotten in trouble with authority mm -hmm. figures in our own lives. So let's take it to the timeline. What is the weirdest thing you've gotten in trouble for? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. <laughs> weirdest thing you've gotten in trouble for? This makes me think of when I was five and I was doing karate and um, I got kicked out after one class because I wouldn't stop staring in the mirror. <laughs> 
Staring in the mirror. Instead of doing the moves. I was just like staring. I don't know if I was giving face or what I was doing, but I was staring. No. A, a, a young child with priorities of staring in the mirror. I don't even know if I can be yes. mad at that. Narcissism to be honest is with a, you. Gay, <laughs> a genetic tweet, a trait, a trait of gay men. What about you? Um, I used to do gymnastics growing up, and I would give this face that was kind of like a perplexed face, but people always think it's really rude. So mm-hmm. once I made that face because I didn't understand what was going on, and my coach got real mad and kicked me out. So that's homophobia. Yeah, homophobia. I know, homophobia, homophobia. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Well, switching gears this morning a bit, Daniel Victor tweeted over the weekend, everything happening in Hong Kong, the street protests, police using tear gas, fears for the future, is tenuously connected to a single murder case in Taiwan. It's worth understanding what happened there and how it's relevant to what has followed. The Hong Kong Free Press tweeted, organizers have announced a turnout estimate of close to two million, nearly doubling that of last Sunday's rally and making it the largest protest in Hong Kong's history. BuzzFeed News Asia correspondent Rosalind Adams joins us from Hong Kong now. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us again. And for those who haven't been following this story, walk us back a little bit. What are these protests about? Yeah, so the controversy is really over an an extradition bill that the government um, introduced back in February. Um, And that bill would allow Hong Kong to send people to other countries to to face charges there. Um, And that's where this murder case comes into play, that there was a Hong Kong man who um, confessed to killing his girlfriend while on a trip to Taiwan that Hong Kong said they have no authority to send back to Taiwan. Um, But people here have really taken this bill as a symbol um, that people could also be detained in China Um, which has a really lengthy human rights um, issue problem and that there could be extrajudicial, um, you know, detentions there essentially. Um, And a lot of people see this as um, really the erosion of of Hong Kong's independence from China and that Hong Kong would just become another city in China. So um, the protests have been steadily increasing. Um, They were huge last Sunday and even bigger um, um, yesterday. Uh, Things really ramped up last Wednesday when the protests turned violent um, and tear gas and rubber bullets were used against uh, protesters. And there's just been a huge amount of anger about um, about the violence used and the fact that the government isn't backing down on the bill. Mm -hmm. And what was it like on the streets this weekend as the protesters came back out? Um, You know, so what basically what happened Saturday is um, the chief executive of Hong Kong said she was going to suspend the bill. And I think that she thought after the week of protests that that would calm things down. And I think really what you saw in the streets yesterday was more determination, um, really a lot of pride for the city of Hong Kong. And um, it's the independence that it does have from China. There was so many signs about this is this is Hong Kong. This is not China yet. Um, and, and I think that, you know, seeing Carrie Lam step back a little bit about the bill, saying they were going to she was going to suspend it. Um, they saw some movement, but not enough. So there were a lot of chance of withdraw the bill, withdraw the bill. Um, the demands of protesters actually really only increased after this press conference she gave Saturday. Um, and, the, and the numbers were, were bigger. It had the opposite effect, I think, of quelling this, this dissent. Um, it, it really, I think, emboldened, emboldened people. Um, and, you know, the streets were just, um, you know, crazy, like so packed, like people were spilling out um, on parallel streets from the route. Um, and, 
And people just really wanted to be out there. They really wanted to show how important this issue was to them. Hmm. The activist Joshua Wong was freed from prison today. Who is he and what is the significance of his freeing in the context of these protests? Uh, yeah, so Joshua Wong was the, you know, a big figurehead in the umbrella movement protests um, here. That was five years ago now at this point and back in 2014. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's a big symbol to see him out of prison. And um, he's sort of been in, even though the umbrella movement was five years ago, he's sort of been facing charges, been in and out of prison since then. I think it's a big reason why people are so sort of fearful of the police and and being charged with things because um, even years after this, he's still facing charges. Um, but I think to see him out feels like a victory for protesters. Um, it's a big symbol back in the streets. He immediately, when he got out of prison, um, was calling for Carrie Lam to, to step down and was saying that, you know, this is even bigger than the umbrella movement. Like we're back basically. Mm-hmm. And after the protest, the government released a statement. Could you let us know what that was saying? Yeah, so um, there was a press conference Saturday, and then about 8.30 last night, uh, the government, uh, Carrie Lam, released an apology, basically. Um, And she had sort of sidestepped uh, making an apology the day before. Um, But, you know, I don't really think it it had much of an effect. Um, I think people were still out in the street. I think at that point, um, the apology felt a little bit... Um, sort of too little too late. And I think, you know, the protesters have been really clear about what they want. Um, they want the bill to be fully withdrawn. The, the issue with suspension is they sort of see that as a Trojan horse, that the bill isn't completely dead. Uh, the government could reintroduce it. So they really want to see this bill fully withdrawn. Um, they want to see uh, protesters who have been arrested for rioting charges this last week released. Um and they want Carrie Lam to, to step down. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really unclear what's going to happen next. But I think, you know, the effect of the, pol- the apology at 8.30 last night, when by that point it was clear that millions were literally filling the streets, it, 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 I don't think it really, like, did a lot to um, sort of quell what's, what's happening in the city. Well, we will continue to keep an eye on this. Rosalind, thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much. Over the weekend, a presidential forum focusing on black economic issues took place in South Carolina. Cory Booker tweeted, the Black Economic Alliance is doing such critical or crucial work. Too often black communities are barred from participating in economic advancements in ways other groups aren't. We're going to change that. Excited to be part of this conversation. However, what was happening outside of that forum is what may have a bigger impact on capturing the black vote. Fight for 15 tweeted, fast food workers went on strike in Charleston, South Carolina, and were joined by presidential candidates Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, and Pete Buttigieg as we stood up to demand $15 and union rights. It's time McDonald's listens to our demands. United, we will win. Joining us now is BuzzFeed News reporter Darren Sands. Good morning, Darren. Morning, guys. So who organized this forum and what were, they, what were their goals of the event? Uh, the forum was organized by a group called the Black Economic Alliance. This is a, a new group formed in 2017 by um, a wealthy group of business owners who, uh, after 2016, having been involved with uh, Barack Obama's campaigns in 20, uh, 2008 and 2016, uh, I'm sorry, 2008 and uh, 2012, um, 
at uh, sort of the 2016 juncture, I think, became a little bit less involved and they began to sort of question what happened to um, uh, Hillary Clinton in that election. And what uh, they decided to do was really to uh, begin to adopt a message and, and, and rally people around a sort of a three-pronged uh, economic message tailored towards black Americans who are poorer, who are uh, wage earners and those who are sort of in the upper middle class and uh, people who are entrepreneurs or in business. And so um, this event has sort of been in the, in, in the running for a long time. Um, it's something that people were, I think, anticipating. And it's kind of really an aggressive move um, by this group in years past. In presidential elections, you have uh, the civic groups that are sort of part of the uh, main organizing apparatus of black Americans in some of these states, um, like South Carolina, places like Ohio, have been civil rights groups and they've been um, political leaders and, and churches. A lot of the energy is coming out of those spaces. And so to see business leaders now step up was kind of a, an interesting development that I think is going to have a big impact on 2020. Hmm. You mentioned the specificity of these states. And why is South Carolina the best site to have a conversation on race and economic disparities? Yeah, it's such a good question. I think one of the things that they mentioned um, was that two-thirds of the uh, the Democratic electorate in South Carolina are African-Americans. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that's going to be very important, that's one of the obvious sort of political points about this conversation uh, in, 20, uh, in 2008, rather, Barack Obama was able to capitalize off of his win in Iowa after losing um, uh, New Hampshire to, to win in South Carolina. And what you saw was that that sort of movement towards Obama um, sort of created a new South Carolina and that their political significance was finally recognized in a sort of a really visual uh, national way. And so even now, I think you're starting to see these candidates um, are traveling to South Carolina and they're, they're trying to make inroads into these communities. You know, the thing about the state right now is that is important to notice, especially in this economic conversation, is that the uh, the state has the lowest union membership in the country. And so um, that affects everyday workers, people who like these workers this weekend. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more, who are McDonald's workers who are earning seven, eight and nine dollars an hour, really trying, really struggling to to make it in, in that state's economy. And so. Um, what you saw, and I wrote about this in the story, is that these uh, people didn't necessarily want the uh, media attention that came with uh, the candidates reaching out to them, but what they really got was a, a boost, sort of a spiritual um, empowerment that the, their message is being heard, that it's working, and that um, the skills and the, the, the ability that they have to um, you know, negotiate with their employers and make uh, their lives better, not just for their communities, but for their coworkers that they love and that their family, you know, essentially that they become a, a second family too. So it's going to be really interesting to see how those candidates begin to reach out to these voters that, you know, the Democratic Party calls low information or, or um, low education. So it's, it's a really critical, I think, development <coughs> happening in the state. Uh, I'll, and I'll, I'll stop. Uh, I heard you cough, so I'll stop talking. <coughs> She's I'm so coughing. sorry. I'm sincerely coughing it's up here. I have a cold. It's fine. You don't have to leave the room. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, Darren, thank you so much for that explainer of what's happening. And I'm sure we're going to keep checking in while you were on the campaign trail. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Coming up, I'm talking to Brianna Hildebrand from the movie Deadpool. But up next, Alex is reading fire tweets with the fabulous Lady Bunny. I can't wait. Ooh, she doesn't kick me you. off of, my, of the set if I start coughing. Because <laughs> I coughing. Those coughs are so sincere. 
welcome, welcome. It's time for Fire Tweets. And today I'm joined by the one and only Lady Bunny, who is going to help me get through some of these Fire Tweets. Yes. Which I'll go first to show you how it's done, but you know what you've gotten yourself into. Yes, I do, and I'm ready. <laughs> All right, great. Here I go. Michael, you tweeted, Twitter is great if you can't afford therapy, but you also don't want to get any better. It's true. Stay on Twitter if you just don't want to feel any better about yourself, I guess. I guess that's true. It can be negative. I don't really remember because they kicked me off Why? a month ago. Okay, Bianca Del Rio was doing a play in London. And to be sympathetic, I said, I got my tickets because I was on tour there. And I said, Lezer, I'll see you soon. Lezer, an archaic slang for lesbian this <laughs> in the UK. And the, so Twitter is now policing the gay community against itself. I mean, I, I, I mean, my previous tweet to her was, I'm going to go see you in that show and make you feel just like Abraham Lincoln. So, I mean, I guess that could be construed as a death threat, but come on, we follow each other. She didn't complain. Enough Twitter. Did someone in a foreign call center or someone just get flagged by that word? Come on, Twitter. Come on. We don't need the, the gay community doesn't need to be complete by you because you don't know your shit. Lezer is not a slur. Gay rights. Gay and Bianca's rights. not even a woman. So calling her a lezer is in the realm of the absurd, as you are with your policies, Twitter. Well, so yes, it has unhitched me. Twitter has unhitched me. Well, I'm glad. I'm blaming you. Twitter today. Okay. <laughs> we could set the record straight. And so if you would, would you hit the button and read the tweet? I would love to. Mark, you tweeted, the most surprising part of adulthood is finding out exactly how many meals popcorn and wine qualify as a replacement for. Have you ever done this? Have you ever just had the popcorn and wine? As well, if you add cheese, since popcorn <laughs> is corn, a starch, that's actually a balanced meal. I don't dispute that <laughs> at all, actually. Wine is a veg, a fruit, right? It is a fruit, yeah. yeah no, absolutely. So. I agree. Popcorn grows from corn from the ground. It's basically a vegetable. I mean, I'm hypoglycemic, so I would have to add the cheese <laughs> or lots of butter. And clearly, I can't eat fattening foods with this figure. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Ready for this next tweet? Yes, I am. Mike, you tweeted. My niece insisted I color with her, and after two minutes, she paused, looked at me, and asked, do you know how to color inside the lines? Harsh. Cold. Yeah. yeah. My niece said the same thing, but she meant color within the lines. <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing my makeup, that little... Well, I have to say, one of the things I was struck by in that tweet is that this niece uh, kind of roasted the tweeter a little bit. And uh, my co-host, Zach, uh, mentioned that you once roasted Pam Anderson. I what did. Is, what is the key to doing a good roast? Well, the thing is, I look exactly like Pam Anderson <laughs> from this angle. <laughs> um, but... but um, Anyway, I uh, that was great. I got to work with B. Arthur, and man, they were cruel to her. I mean, she she wasn't long for this earth at that time. And uh, from the Golden Girls for you, young yes, ones. yes, yes. But um, it was incredible. Also got to work with Anna Nicole Smith, who I adored, and uh, Courtney Love was also a hoot. I can only <laughs> imagine at the after party. Woo! <laughs> so for this last tweet, we're going to hit the button together, and okay. then you're going to read it. Okay? okay. Ready? One, two, three. Tweet of the day comes from Carlos Maza. Remember that it's Pride Month, which means we are following official Pride rules. Any straight person who asks you for a favor may be required to lip sync to a song of your choice to prove they are worthy. No exceptions. It's just the rules. <laughs> it's just the rules of Pride Month, right? Well, I'm from the South and I'm religious, so I was taught that Pride <laughs> is a sin. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, gosh, that's a novel, you know, concept. Yeah. Is that how we win over allies? We I, might I mean, put them in the maybe, spirit. Maybe. I'm every woman. It's always good to see a straight guy lip sync too. Once, once in a while. Yeah. It can't hurt. Well, I, you know, since it is Pride Month, I do want to talk about some of the work that you're doing this month. Yes. And you're having the second Wigstock. You brought it back after a 17-year hiatus last year. Um, why was it so important to you to, to bring it back and do it again? Well, we need a party right now more than ever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, the festival ran for about 19 years, and then we took a few years break, and actually we took a 17-year break. And sometimes I need a long break from stuff, but I'm ready to bring it back. I'm not, the, the movie uh, was shot about this past year, 2018. I'm not sure if Wigstock will happen in 2019, but if it doesn't, there's a wonderful drag festival in Brooklyn called Bushwig, mm. which is our a sister festival. Mm. Well, you mentioned uh, the documentary, which is uh, about to come out, right? Wig. Um, and it, it celebrates, it, ex it explores the influence of the Wigstock Festival. It explores drags and art. Um, what do you hope viewers take away from view watching it? Um, I hope that they take away from it that uh, drag is fun, drag is crazy, drag doesn't have to be polished, you don't need a million dollars, you don't need lace front wigs, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of status symbols with like specialty makeup, and honey, my makeup is from a drugstore, you're like, I know, <laughs> I can tell. Um, but, you know, you, you, sometimes you just need a kernel of imagination or or craziness. I mean, you you can take a $14.99 bob wig and rip the shit out of a lip sync number if, you know, you have talent and dancing mm -hmm. ability. So you don't need high-end products. And, you know, I, 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 Wigstock Drag, New York City Drag was about Lipsinka, Joey Arias, Flotilla DeBarge, Kevin Ovens, people that created their own character. We didn't, we didn't do so much celebrity impersonation, you know, within the New York City Drag community that I'm aware of. So the, the, the better known performers created something of their own. Mm. And I mean, it seems that, uh, you know, drag now really touches mainstream culture in some ways. Um, for instance, RuPaul's Drag Race has become such a phenomenon. Um, we had a segment recapping it every Friday called The Library. Um, but I want to know, do you think there is too much drag race? Well, let me put it this way. When Donald Trump cut the budget for that annual event where mentally and physically handicapped people competed, I thought he had canceled Drag Race season 11. They're all sick. I've got a cyst. I've got a heart condition. I've got this. I've got that. So it's like, if they're too sick to perform, why are they on there? Have we run out of queens? There's able-bodied queens, RuPaul. They can go on there that aren't, you know, oh, I, can't, I couldn't walk because I had a cyst on my taint. All right. Girl, police. Well, I'm going to keep also, it going Also, is not a competition. So... Brew is my old roommate and friend, you know, good for him, you know, in the show. But not everything is a competition. And Wigstock is a celebration. And no one is trying to knock anyone else out of the way or backstab each other. It's, it's sisterhood. Hmm. Well, uh, speaking of uh, mainstream drag culture, last week, Vulture ranked America's top 100 drag superstars. I didn't see you on the list. No. What's up with that? Well, you didn't see anyone who wasn't on Drag Race on the list, yeah. which is very stupid on Vulture's part. I don't care about these lists. I'd rather have a paycheck than a crown or, you know, something on a, on a list. I mean, I've been at the top of, you know, timeouts, best drag queen in New York, you know, a couple of times one. I, 
I, I don't do my job because of, of lists. And you don't believe everything you read because there's another list of the wealthiest drag queens and it claims that I have several million. If I did, I wouldn't be appearing on BuzzFeed. I would be owning BuzzFeed. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it, it, it's don't believe everything you read. And, oh. and it was very stupid of Vulture to go to DragCon for mainly drag race queens, you know, and, and just take all of their picture. Also, did you notice all those pictures are real tight? Do any of them look any different? They've all got a white exclamation point down the front of their nose. And I'm, I'm like white lines under my nose. Okay, excuse me. All right, well, it's Lady, early, Lady Bunny has <laughs> spoken. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. You're welcome. Mwah! And Wig premieres tomorrow on HBO. Up next, we are talking about Twitter's newest member, O.J. Simpson. Welcome back, y'all. On Friday, infamous ex-football player O.J. Simpson re-emerged in the public eye, but this time on Twitter. O.J. posted this video, which he announces that he has joined the platform because he has, quote, a little getting even to do. Um, okay. Well, Twitter had a swift reaction to this news, mostly with anger. God tweeted, O.J. Simpson has been on Twitter for 24 hours and already has over 500,000 followers. At this rate, he will be the next president. You people are a bunch of fucked up morons. Hmm, words. His arrival to the platform comes at an interesting moment as well, which makes his video even more ominous. Dan Snyder tweeted, 25 years ago today, the world stopped and watched the most famous police chase in history. As O.J. Simpson eluded Los Angeles police in a white Ford Bronco after being charged with two counts of murder. I can't believe it's been 25 <clears throat> years. Where do we even Ooh. begin with this? You know, it's like... I knew that he would come to Twitter one day. I mean, that's inevitable. It almost seems like it's late for him to, like you think he would have come to Twitter earlier. That too. Like I did not know she was not on Twitter. Yeah. But to do it on the same week in which it is the anniversary of a violent crime that took away your ex-wife, is a little uh, scary. Yeah, absolutely. Frightening. Well, you know, I think that that is one of the reasons why people had such a strong reaction to this. It's because it seems quite callous mm -hmm. when uh, perhaps the families are still mourning the losses of their loved ones. Yes. Um, it's still really raw for them to almost be having this victory lap by coming on Twitter and saying that you're going to, like, hit back at people yeah. is what that almost seemed like. Yeah, it seems like a threat, and we don't know who the threat is directed to. Um, so I guess more time will tell. But, you know, what happened when I was on the plane and this happened yesterday, the immediate backlash to him joining and people then shaming friends of theirs who were following him was something I had never seen before. It's kind of the thing of, like, OJ emerges over the past few days and he's rising on Father's Day because I think he put out a message on Father's Day, which got some... He did. I think that was also part of why this got so much attention, yes. So, but then I was seeing tweets of people saying, you know, following him is not okay. Even as journalists, do not follow this man. He's a murderer. And there was a, a, a focus on the daughter of the lawyer in the case, uh, not the lawyer in the case, the lawyer that died in the scene, um, to get her follower count up higher. So you see this battle of like followers mean accepting what that person's done. And Twitter's having a hard conversation about like, do you follow these people that are terrible? Uh, even if it's for fun. And OJ is, I guess it's for fun that you yeah, follow Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, 
he was acquitted, especially when you feel like somebody is trying to capitalize on it. Um, it is certainly a journey to see the way that this story continues to capture American publish, public consciousness mm. over the past two decades um, in series that people have done about yes. it, in OJ's own continuing controversies, like trying to steal his own memorabilia. Yeah, yeah. it just won't stop. It, it goes on stop. and on and on. But you know, that moment was kind of the launch of reality TV. That, that car chase was one of the most watched things ever. So it makes sense in a moment in which we feel like every day is a reality TV show that OJ would still have power. Oh, well, it is quite a time to be alive. And uh, you know what? Let's take it to the timeline. Who do you not want to join Twitter? Let us using, know using the hashtag am to dm Mine, who's yours? I don't even know. Like, I don't even want to think about the people that I don't want to think about. So don't even give anybody any idea. <laughs> we'll like pop up and they're like, hi, I'm here. I'm like, yeah. damn it, Alex, you did that. <laughs> well, up next, I'll be chatting with actor Brianna Hildebrand to talk about her new Netflix show, Trinkets. Here's a tweet from Nat. Go watch Trinkets, three girls with their own well-written backstories and their struggles bringing them together at a kleptomania meeting. Plus, it's gay. I'm joined now by... <laughs> I just love that. Plus, it's gay. It's gay, 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 gay. Uh, I'm joined now by one of the stars of Trinkets, Brianna Hildebrand. How are you? Good. How are it's, you? I'm good. It's so good to have you, especially here during Pride Month, where we yeah. talk about gay things every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, this f- series is a, is a teen drama about girls who bond over shoplifting together. Yeah. Have you ever shoplifted? Oh man, <laughs> I have, but it was a while ago. You know, I was it's young. While, you were, you I think a lot of it. like kids do that. You know, yeah, and so. it's also sealed in your records if you get caught, <laughs> so you don't ever have to talk about it. True, true. So, but how is shoplifting used in this series to kind of tell these stories of these young women? Uh, these these kids kind of shoplift to like fill a void, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I think is the case for a lot of people. I think a lot of people shoplift when they don't necessarily need to, but. Um, more so to kind of feel like they're taking control of their own lives. Mm-hmm. And we dive into that in the series and we talk about like the psychology of it and stuff. Mm. And you really get to see it play out, you know? Mm, I um, love that. Yeah. And also the series, you dive into your char- character's queerness. Yeah. What does it mean to play a young queer person in high school? Um, I mean, I think it's awesome. I was out in high school and uh, in Texas and mm. I had no representation in the media of anyone out um, Mm -hmm. in high school, you know, of anyone really out in general. I can't think of like a a role model that I looked up to who was Mm. like openly gay and also a woman and Mm -hmm. in high, like I can't think of a single one. So I think it's really important, you know, Mm because kids kind of learn from media in that sense. They like soak it all up. Yeah. And due to that lack of visibility for yourself, did it feel more important for you to become that for other people? Yeah, of course. I don't know who said this quote, but something about like, try to be the person that your eight-year-old self would admire. And mm. like, I feel like I'm doing that uh, by playing queer characters. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's what I'm trying to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. And do yeah. you think this character is going to really help continue that narrative? Because we don't see much of this, and you really are blazing a new trail for so many people. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, I hope it sets a new stand. I hope that people, um, you know, just get excited about queer folks and media. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not... I hope it's just like a regular, everyday thing. You yeah, because we're literally everywhere. You're from Texas, yeah. I'm from Tennessee. We yes. exist. We all just live in New York all the time. <laughs> I mean, we now live in New York, but you're not. It's true. So I could not bring up Deadpool with you with you yeah. being here. Uh, tell me about that experience working on that film. Did you know it was going to be that popular? Because it really just exploded. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember reading the script at Fox and being like, I have never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew it was going to be um, really individual in a sense. I didn't realize it would really blow up, mm -hmm. but... Um, you know, I wasn't aware also of like the huge fan base. I was never a comic type of person, but it's been really great being involved and um, getting to play a queer superhero mm -hmm. is also like super cool. Yeah, yeah, and it's like one of the first ones we've seen in mainstream yeah. movies, which is incredible. Yeah. So you keep just blazing all the trails across all the media. <laughs> all the trails. <laughs> so Ryan Reynolds, you know, I'm a big fan of him. Very handsome. Who is not? What was it like working with that handsome face every day? It was great. He was he was my childhood crush, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, his name is like still on my bedroom walls. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of weird. Really? I told him about that. It was a whole thing. <laughs> what did he say when you told him that? He was like, that's really cool. <laughs> I think I definitely made it weird. Although at the time I was still 17. So my bad, Ryan, I'm sorry it's, that I did that. <laughs> what was the yeah. film that made you so attracted to him? Because I'm trying to think of my first time I had a crush on him. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I mean, he did a lot of like romantic comedies, mm -hmm. right? I fell in love with, oh, The Proposal. That was like yes. the main one. Oh my God. Yeah, yes, yes. One. And did you imagine him doing that for you? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout like, out, yes. Ryan. I'm sorry again. Ryan's going to be calling you up. It's like, girl, I didn't know it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, Blake. It's chill. Oh my God. So your character, uh, Negasonic, in the film, yeah. what would your dream spinoff look like with her? Oh man. Um, I don't know. Honestly, just anything where you get to like, find out about her history. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's so, I mean, she's barely in the comics, so uh, you can't really find out a lot from those. And we've never really delved into like what has made her so hardened mm -hmm. and you know, why she's got such an attitude. So yeah. I feel like anything that has to do with her history, I would be down for. And would her queer narrative need to be centered to that? Cause you know, with Captain Marvel, we saw so many people wanting that to be a queer uh, comic book film. Yeah. But would your spinoff be like very much about her queerness growing up? I mean, if I were totally in control of that, probably. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I mean, that. I, I think that would be super cool. But I also think it's it's nice that um, even in the second Deadpool, Negasonic just kind of shows up with her girlfriend. Mm -hmm. You know, it's never really like addressed, like the girlfriend's here or like she's gay. It's just like a regular yeah. normal thing, which I think is important too. So. Yeah, and do you think young people are picking up on that kind of subtle Presentational queerness because I yeah. think when I was younger it was like always so pronounced it was like Ugh, right queer. like this is what a gay person looks like this is what you know yeah. and I yeah I hope that people are picking up on that yeah. I mean yeah I just hope that it becomes like a regular normal thing and it's not it doesn't have to be all about queerness all the time mm -hmm. when there's a queer character involved you know yeah we can just exist and be boring sometimes you know yeah. sometimes it's queer people <laughs> are quite boring <laughs> true well thank wow, you the shade. <laughs> the shade. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in today. It's really lovely talking to you about queer comic books and all the things. And Ryan Reynolds. I'm using you to get to him right now. I hope you okay. know that. That's what I'm doing. Shout out, Ryan. <laughs> you can watch Trinkets on Netflix now. Up next, Alex is chatting with the creator and star of the web series, The Feels. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm out here with Tim Manley, co-creator and star of The Feels web series. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so one of the things that really struck me about this series is you are releasing one episode every single day for the yeah. entire month of June. So what kind of <laughs> stories did you want to tell in those, oh, I don't know, 30 episodes? It's 30 episodes. It's a lot. So... When we always start with characters, right? And our characters are co-written with the actors who play them. So a lot of times it's like, I get coffee with an actor and I just sort of say, what do you wish you saw represented on screen more? Or the question I really like to ask people is, 
How would you speak if you didn't feel like you had to translate yourself for somebody、mm. else? Just start starting with a deep question, and then the the season comes together sort of organically from there, right? But I think it's important that like we don't, or I don't end up trying to make a statement about a topic,、mm. right? Instead, I think we try to show what it feels like to be somebody,、mm. and I think that's partly because like I. I don't necessarily trust my brain to say anything smart about something, <laughs> but I know that my heart can say how something feels. So, is it more that you are just ensuring that you have a real array of different kinds of people, of different backgrounds, different identities, and then that just informs the stories themselves? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think that we end up representing so much partly because we're in New York, and these are the people we're compelled to work with, and because. We're we're drawing these stories from our real lives.、Mm. Now, some of the characters in this season include a polyamorous triad with、uh, the actor Sara Ramirez, who、yeah. herself is、uh, an out、uh, bi individual.、Um, why was that important to show, and what was it like collaborating? I mean, it was amazing to collaborate with Sara, right? Just one of the nicest, kindest, smartest, most thoughtful people ever, and she co-wrote that arc with us. So again, it started with, "What do you want to do?" Um, and th- those characters came out of that, and we just sat down. She also wanted to collaborate with everybody, not just you know top down. What are we going to do? And so we sat, me and her, and and my co-creator Najla Latiad around his kitchen table, and with the other two actors in that、uh, triad, Shantira Jackson and Ianfield Stewart, and we created it all together. So it's it's kind of that everybody felt. Like these were the things they wanted to show, and so it's a collaborative thing again, kind of more from the heart as opposed to from the brain.、Mm. Um, and it's it's such an honor to work with people who are so talented.、Mm. I mean, one of the things I was really struck by was just the idea of、uh, complex bi representation unto itself. Sometimes it feels like we barely get that in the media.、Yeah. So why was it important for you to be an out bi person playing an out bi man in、yeah. particular? I mean, I am an out by man. I don't really know how to be in any other, <laughs> any other kind, any other way, right? And there is more by male representation in the media now than there used to be, but it's still kind of like by male one hundred and one. I、mm. think you know storylines would be like by men exist, or kind of more often like by men exist with a question mark, which is great.、Um, but I feel like I'm ready for like the graduate level course on by male representation, you know,、mm. and that's. Kind of what we're trying to do here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we are like ready for the 600 level of yeah. this all. Like, we deserve it. So I'm ready for the PhD. Yes. Yeah. Please, me too.、Um, your co-creator of the series, you mentioned,、um, you met as teachers, right? And、yeah. actually, there are some really、uh, great、uh, episodes where you're t- that take place in school.、Um, but as you were thinking about、uh, this season, was there anything that you wanted young people to take away from watching the series?、Um, Yeah, I think I hope if a young person is watching the show, I think what I hope someone would take away is just I want the show to feel like a friend, and I want it when you watch it for it to feel like we see you, and and we love you, and we think you're great,、mm. you know, and and that's just it. 
Mm. Um, I love that uh, message. Um, yeah. just, and I feel like it would be so amazing to be a young person getting to access this material um, and getting to see such an array of uh, storylines. I, 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 wish, I wish I'd seen something like this when I was young. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, speaking of the platform itself, your show is available on YouTube, of course, which has struggled recently to take a strong position on uh, banning homophobic harassment. Um, yeah. Do you think that YouTube, uh, as the creator of a show that airs on YouTube, do you think that YouTube should ban uh, people like Steven Crowder? I mean, we're grateful for YouTube in a way because it gives us a place to share these stories and let people see them. We'd never meet these people otherwise. It's amazing and it's free, right? But yeah, I hope that they would do a better job of protecting their community, both the creators and the viewers, especially people in marginalized communities, especially people in the LGBTQ community, which gets such a mixed message from YouTube. And maybe that does mean if somebody is promoting bigotry or xenophobia or hate speech, et cetera, bullying, you don't get the privilege of the access to a platform like this. And I would hope YouTube would enforce rules that follow those, that thinking. Would you ever consider leaving the platform if they don't enforce those rules? Um, it would be a conversation. You know, especially for our future work, it would be a conversation, yeah. Hmm. Well, of course, it is Pride Month, and I'd be remiss not to bring up the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. How do you keep the radical spirit alive in the feels? <laughs> I mean, it is, okay, so our, our logo for this show is, is a fist holding a pencil with a heart above it. And for me, it is a, this show is a form of protest, right? And that might be surprising because... We're not throwing a brick at a cop car. We are filming two queer people having a quiet conversation about their emotions in bed. But I think this is the most valuable thing I could be doing with my time. And if I could write great essays or if I could be a great community organizer, I would do those things. But this is what I can do, little quiet moments of humanity. And it's like, yeah, we we also represent people with a range of identities and experiences. But that shouldn't be such a radical thing to do. And I hope at some point it isn't, Hmm. right? Well, I think that that is the perfect note to leave this segment on. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And one of the ways I'm going to be celebrating Pride Month is by watching new episodes of The Feels season three every single day in June. And if you're in New York City, you can see a screening of The Feels with Sada Ramirez at the IFC Center on June 25th. Up next, Zach is bringing you a moment of zen. Here's a tweet from LGBT La Lisa. I can feel myself becoming a dramatic, sensitive little bitch. Cancer season must be coming. Ignacia <laughs> Vulture, Buzzfeed writer and self-professed astrology, astrology enthusiast, joins me now. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very excited about this because, you know, you're a Leo. Yes, and you're a Pisces. And I'm a Leo rising, and I love We Leos. love that. Well, you know. I want a I, shirt that says I love Leos. I stand Leos because I am one. Well, not only do you stand Leos, but you stand <laughs> horoscopes. Yes. Why? Well, I stand astrology. Okay. So I feel like there's a big difference between the two. I think that, you know, horoscopes are like your everyday, Mm -hmm. like you kind of get a shallow reading, whereas astrology, you kind of have a more in-depth type of um, insight into your personality, Mm -hmm. which is amazing, right? Because everybody wants to know a little bit more about themselves and the world around them. Yeah. And how does one figure this out? Is it just about the stars or are there other factors? So we all know that it's more than what it usually Mm -hmm. is. Um, So basically what you do is you go onto the internet and you put in your birth time, ask your mom, Mm -hmm. ask your dad, ask your any type of parental guardian who has your birth certificate. Mm -hmm. You look the time of birth, 
And then you want to find out your sun sign, which is basically what the one that everyone knows, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I'm a Leo, you're a Pisces, yes. you know that, yes. right? Um, so that's like the one that everybody goes to, like, oh my God, like I'm such a Taurus, mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh my God, I sleep all the time. Mm-hmm. But then there's your moon sign, which is like basically what you feel like in your emotional state. Mm. So like what you are when you go to bed, right? When no one's around, oh. when you think about, right, when you're like going through emotional type of crises, that's what you do. Really? Right. So I'm a Leo in the bed and a Pisces in the streets. Right. Okay, exactly. there we go. Exactly, right. <laughs> but then there's also your Venus sign, which also talks about love and stuff. So then it goes into more okay. in depth. Okay, right. and I'm a Pisces there. Right. So I feel I follow right. love like a Pisces, but I act like a Right, Leo. exactly. So you feel like you're more dreamy in love. This means, this is why I'm single right here. Right here. <laughs> so where does this all come from? Does this come from the stars themselves? Right. So usually they do. So that's what, so about 2,000 years ago, you know, I guess it really depends on what kind of astrology you go by. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, it, you know, got discovered 2,000 years ago. Everybody looked at patterns of the stars and they're like, oh my God, I think I could relate. So. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like narcissistic. Right. Oh my God. I can relate to them. I can relate to them. So, you know, and then they started studying them. Okay. And, you know, that's basically how astrology started. So thousands of years. Right. And how has this benefited people knowing this uh, little tidbit of information about themselves? Right. So I think that, you know, depending on conversations between you and me, between Mm -hmm. your friends, between your coworkers, you can kind of figure out, okay, how am I going to be able to go through communicating with these Mm -hmm. people? You know, just being able to relate. Like, okay, maybe it's something that we have in common. Like you have a Leo rising. Mm -hmm. I am actually a Leo. So that's like, oh my God, I think that we have similar traits Mm -hmm. in a way. So it's great for just the community building. And Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I, and also, it's just a great hobby because then you could just stereotype people like, oh my exactly. God, you're so emotional. You get to reduce people in real time. You're like, you right. are this. Your whole right. life is defined by this. Right, thing. exactly. <laughs> so speaking of defining people by one thing, Friday is the start of cancer season. Yes. What are some characteristics about cancers? Because I work for two and I need to know how to survive this moment. Well, all right, y'all. So this is how it goes. So cancer season, so... Cancers in general are more nurturing, they're sensitive, they're a water sign, right? So water signs are Pisces, Scorpio, and Cancer. Mm -hmm. So basically you all are, you know, kind of led by your emotions, so you lead with your emotions. Um, But, you know, they're also a little moody depending on, you know, how you approach them, depending on what type of day it is, how they're feeling inside. But they're also really, really great friends. Mm. So, you know, if if you come to them with a problem, they will definitely understand your problem. They might not help you fix it, but they'll definitely be like, you know what? I get you. They'll hear you. I understand. I empathize. I sympathize. (laughs) And that's great. That's what you need. Sometimes you need somebody to just like talk it out. You don't need advice. You just need to like say it. Right. Like you need to... And the word vomit, and then, you know, you bring and it back. Now I know what to do with my bosses. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mercury goes into retrograde on July yes. 7th. Oh, Lord. What does that mean, and what should we prepare for? All right, y'all. So Mercury is in retrograde, which basically means that Mercury looks like it's moving backwards in the sky. So Mercury... Amazing. Right, I know. Crazy. Oh, my God. The stars. Remember I talked about the stars? Incredible. Right. So basically what that means is Mercury is kind of the ruler of all communications. So if you find that your phone is acting up and you have to restart it three or four times, it's probably not your phone. It's probably Mercury retrograde. Mm -hmm. So it rules all these type of communication things. So basically everybody think before you say anything. Okay. Think before you say anything anything to anybody. Because it will fall apart. Right, right. Not necessarily fall apart, but just, you know, basically what you say might not be, might not be meant by the other person. Hmm. So you have to make sure that you're, you know, just 
be careful with your words. Got be it. purposeful. Okay. You watch know? your mouth. Right. Okay. Watch your mouth. And, you know, just, you know, make sure you communicate. So if you're with your boo and you guys have a fight, you know, just be like, listen, babe, I'm, let's talk. I'm a, so thank you for all that because I'm about to blame everything on Mercury <laughs> Retrograde. When I miss lines, when I can't read things, Mercury's in Retrograde. Great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining thank me Thank you so much, It too. was really lovely to learn more about the stars. Yes. And I'm part of the whole universe. Yes. <laughs> Up next, Alex and I will read your tweets. Welcome back, and it's time for At Us. Buzzfeeder, Patricia Peck tweeted this after my conversation with Ignacia about astrology. Learning so damn much about astrology, thanks to Ignacia on AM to DM. Tune in now. Where do you stand on astrology? I do believe it. I just am such a Pisces. It's annoying. There was a tweet this weekend about Pisces looking at their tenders and being like, I've been dating since I was 15 and I'm exhausted. Like, I was like, that's me. Like, I'm <laughs> exhausted. Can I tell you something? I, I don't believe in astrology, but I like think it's fun and mm-hmm. enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And so like, can't hurt to tell me what to do in like Mercury's yeah. in retrograde. Um, but I did look up that actually I'm a Taurus and you're a Pisces and we're pretty compatible. Really? Which like makes a lot of sense. Oh God, you know, I'm just like knocking over yeah. things. I'm so yeah. excited. Is that exciting? One yeah, I best, was intrigued. One of my best friends is a Taurus. So this okay, got it. So it makes sense. Very, yeah. very yeah. best friends. Well, we wanted to know what was the weirdest thing you got in trouble for. And Denzel says, playing with an electric grill lighter as if it was a joy buzzer nearly got me and 20 other students in my fifth grade class expelled from school for handling a deadly weapon on school. School grounds. Whew, wow. A lot. Quite, quite, a, quite a story. Yes, that would get one into trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad it was not a weapon, but Indeed. trouble would be needed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Our producer, Julie, added, I got kicked out of yoga class in eighth grade for not being mellow enough. <laughs> also, Julia, yoga, eighth grade. I, Twitter, guess. Live tweet your us best at where you think, life. Tweet us with where you think Julia grew up. <laughs> And then we'll, That's what we want to we'll know. Read that, we'll read that on air tomorrow. <laughs> well, thank you to our guests. Rosalind Adams, Darren Sands, Ignacia Fulcher, Tim Manley, Lady Bunny, and Brianna Hildebrand. We will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m., but have a great rest of your day. Now I will go cough in peace. You can't kick yes. me out of it.